Good morning, everybody. Believe it or not, the time is here again. I know you thought it just seemed like Christmas last week, last month, right? You think, man, it was, it was just here and, and then it was gone and guess what? Now it's back again. It, it just comes so quickly and you turn around, you blink and all of a sudden all those, you know, credit card bills that you had just paid off, right? They're ballooning up again. Right, but I hope everybody enjoyed your Amazon, you know, Prime Days and all those, uh, you know, order online, get it here, get it now, get it cheap, we'll send it to you. Some of you guys, you were sending things to your neighbors, you had no idea, you were just hitting that button. There's no telling where all of your gifts are going. But it is that time of year again, I hope it makes you feel good, I hope that you look forward to this Christmas season, and I hope it's something that brings joy to you, and I hope that when you come and you're a part here of, of our church family that you're also encouraged by the time that, that we spend together. You know, one thing that you cannot escape when this season rolls around are all of the sounds of Christmas. You can't get away from it, just as Steve was mentioning with you go to Walmart, you go to Target, all of these different places, you're at the mall, and you hear the, the jingle jangle bell that's there with the Salvation Army. And then there's all the Christmas playlists that are just on repeat. Everywhere you go in, right? Every single store that you go into, everybody, you know, you, you, wherever it is that you go, you're just hearing these same songs over and over and, and over again, and you really can't escape it. It's like, how can I get out of this Groundhog Day, it seems like, because you're hearing this same music. And there's a lot of different kinds of Christmas music, right? A lot of different kinds. You have the traditional Christmas hymns like Joy to the World and Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, one of my favorites. And then there are the Christmas carols, right? Like, deck the halls with boughs of holly. Apparently, you don't like that song. I understand. There's a lot of songs that we don't like at Christmas time, but that's one of the ones that, that happier people might come to your doorstep and sing. How about this one? Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, you don't like that one either. All right, but I know that this one is going to get you. You ready? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There we go. Keep going. And if you... Hey, now we know what it is that we all like. That is, that must be, that must be a favorite. Speaking of that, I know that we, we, we went through this earlier as some of you were being welcomed here to our campus, but I, I would love it if, uh, Craig, upstairs, if you'll go back up to our welcome set, and if you will get that slide, I want you guys to vote on what is your favorite Christmas song, all right? So go ahead and take out your phone, get the QR code here. And I want you to vote as to which song is your favorite as listed. And if your song is not there, that's all right. You can just hit other, all right? It's okay. Just hit other and you put what is your favorite song. Now, now here are the ones that everybody is choosing from right now. There's Silent Night and White Christmas and Tennessee Christmas. I put that in there for all the volunteers in the room. There's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I know that many of you, we just found out, enjoy. Santa Claus is coming to town. Joy to the world. And then there, 
There is the classic holiday song, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, which in 2021 was ranked as the number one greatest holiday 100 song of all time by Billboard. The number one song. And let me see, let me see if I can pull up the responses here, just kind of see where everything is going. All right. Right now, other is winning, okay? <laughs> so apparently, you guys don't like the classics. You don't, you don't enjoy the classics. There's something else that you like more. But of the ones that were listed, the, the second most popular after other is joy to the world. Oh, everybody like, oh, that, that's sweet. And, and then coming in after that is all I want for Christmas is you. I, I'm thankful at least that a, a song about Jesus beats a song by Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. Now, there are some songs that were not on here and that you don't get to choose from. And um, I'll keep updating this and, and I'll let you know uh, what the final result is here in just a little bit. But there are some songs that just really aren't Christmas songs, kind of like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, right? I mean, uh, technically, yes, the song is about an event that happened one year at Christmas, but I just don't know. Singing about someone's drunk Nana who, who has an untimely death at the hand of Santa's delivery team isn't, isn't really holiday cheer. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but, but I, I guess I suppose it's better than what I personally feel to be the worst Christmas song of all time. Last Christmas. Can I get an oh yeah from anybody? Anybody else feel that? Here's how the song starts for some of you that maybe are not up on your Christmas tunes. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. But the very next day, you gave it away. This year... To save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Special. Now, how is that a Christmas song, guys? I mean, first, how bad is this person at reading the relationship? Right? I mean, he couldn't see it coming. Guys, if your boo is giving your heart away the very next day, there are some problems in the relationship that started way before Christmas. Way before. And second, he's singing this year he's going to give his heart to someone special as if the person he gave his heart to last year wasn't special. Well, no wonder she gave it away, right? No wonder. Why was he giving his heart to someone who wasn't special? And what does this have to do anything with Christmas? And the answer is nothing. In fact, you could change the lyrics. And you could say, Last birthday, I gave you my heart, right? It, it fits. Last 4th of July, I gave you my heart. I mean, anything except Christmas. Play it any time except at Christmas. It's not a Christmas song. And I feel better now that I've shared that with you. feel much better because there are just some songs that don't belong with Christmas. But there are others, there are others whose very origin is uniquely tied to that night long ago in Bethlehem. You see, music has always been a part of the Christmas story. 
Not just in recent years, but throughout Scripture. You read through Scripture and you often find that there is someone sharing the good news of Jesus and that person is sharing that news in song. That person is moved to sing because, well, Jesus is here. And I think we can safely say that music might be our actual best response our best response when we consider the Christmas message. Music is the way that, that our heart responds. It is the way that we are moved. And so this month, we're going to look at the original Christmas music. We're going to study some of the Christmas songs that are there in Scripture. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at Mary's song of praise called The Magnificent. And that is a Latin word that means to magnify, to praise, or to glorify. And that's what you hear Mary doing throughout the song. This song that pours from her heart, she just begins to magnify the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you just to go ahead and, and turn and, and find Luke chapter 1. Pull it up there on your phone and find the Gospel of Luke. It's there in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and find chapter 1. Mary gets a lot of attention these days, certainly around this time of year. But the truth is, if you think about it, we just don't know a lot about the mother of Jesus. In fact, if you compiled all that Scripture says about Mary and put it all together, you really wouldn't even have enough for a very short biography. We don't know about her life before Jesus. We don't really know how she raised him. We don't know when or where she died. She appears here in the story of the birth of the Messiah, she makes a few cameo appearances later on, very rarely having a speaking part, and then a time or two she's mentioned there in the Gospels, once she's mentioned in the book of Acts, and then that's about it. That's all. And yet, ironically, historical Christendom has, has on a whole, made a pretty big deal out of Mary, saying that, well, she was sinless, or that she continues today to speak to God for us, or that even she is a co-redeemer right there alongside of Jesus. And in fact, through the centuries, people have made a lot more of Mary than, than Scripture would actually tell us she actually is. And I think we'll see here this morning even more than what she would ever want to be made out to be. Mary was from a very insignificant small town called Nazareth. Nazareth sat on about 10 acres of land and had a population of around 300 people. Now, about half those that were born to this town would have died actually in birth. The other half would have a life expectancy of perhaps a little over 30 years of age. And so here you have this very small, this very insignificant town, and we are told that this is where God dispatched one of his angels to speak to a very insignificant teenage girl. The angel arrives and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Maybe you memorized verse 28 in the past. Hail Mary, full of grace. And the angel describes Mary as someone who is just highly favored by God. And I think that maybe this is a bit surprising because if there were really two words to describe 
Mary from a world's perspective. I don't think the, world, the words would necessarily be highly favored. The words would probably be more along the lines of completely overlooked. Those would be two words to be used for her and where she was at this particular place in this particular time in history. I don't know if you're aware of it, but Forbes magazine comes out with a list of their most powerful people each year. And if you have ever read through that list, it really makes you feel miserable about yourself. It does. It does. It just reminds you of how you let down your meemaw and, you know, you didn't get to the level that you wanted to get to. And here's how one of the articles started in a previous year. It said, there are over 7 billion people in the world, but these are the 70 that matter. <laughs> now, I did not read any of your names on that list either, okay? You're not there. I'm not there. But when ranking the people who really matter in the world, the 70 out of the over 7 billion, well, here's the information that Forbes took into consideration. Number one, how many people does the person have power over? Number two, what financial resources do they control? Three, does the person have influence in more than one arena or sphere? Okay, so how powerful are they? How, how, do they have their hands on, on the money? What areas do they touch? And then finally, number four, how actively do the candidates wield their power? How quick are they to drop a line? How, how quick are they to put a word in, to, to move heaven and earth? That's the four criteria that's used by our culture, or at least by Forbes magazine, to determine who makes the list of the most powerful, the most influential people. Now, if we were to take that criteria, those standards, and if we were to try to put Mary up against those, how does she turn out? Because you would think that if these are really important things, these would be things for God to consider, the God, the creator of the universe, because this is his one chance. This is his one chance, sending his son to earth in the form of a child. So who is he going to be looking for in order to raise up that child so that the message gets out and so that Jesus is able to accomplish his mission? Well, as far as power goes, Mary has none. She was not a person of influence. She held no political power. She was an authority over exactly zero people. And financial resources? Well, she was dirt poor. Mary and Joseph were so poor that when they take Jesus to the temple, you might remember this, after, after his birth, they, they, they go there to the temple, and the Levitical law required the sacrifice of a lamb for a new son. But they were so poor, they couldn't afford the lamb, so they ended up having to sacrifice two birds instead. The irony, the lamb of, the, the lamb of God is here but his mother and father don't have enough money to sacrifice a lamb in honor of him and in thanks to God. Didn't have it. There was nothing on her resume that would have gotten her noticed. No impressive accomplishments, no special schooling. She was engaged to be married, not to someone who would grow to be king or to a ruler, just someone who is a, a day laborer. Mary would not have made the Forbes most powerful list of, of that most powerful people and I guess if there was a list of the least powerful, she might have been able to get on that. But here's the thing. She made God's list of the most highly favored. The most highly favored. So what was his criteria? 
What was it about Mary that got God's attention? And I know that there are all kinds of characteristics throughout Scripture that point to different things that that get God's attention. Everything from integrity to honesty and to faithfulness. But I think there's one quality that just keeps coming up throughout Scripture, and we see it here evident in Mary's life. And I think it draws the favor of God more than anything else. And it's simply this. She was simply humble. Mary had a humble spirit. It's what marks her life more than anything, an awareness of how small she is and how big God is. Here's what I want you to think on this morning. Humility, more than any other quality, opens the door to God's favor in your life. Humility opens the door to God's favor. When we humbly take a knee and say, God, I need your help. I need your help, Lord. I've made a mess of things and I cannot fix it on my own. My marriage is broken into a million pieces, but God, you are the one who can put it all back together. God, I've blown it with my kids, but you, God, you are the one who can redeem anything. And God, I've made mistakes in my past and in my present, and I know I'm going to make mistakes in my future, Lord. I'm not proud of that. I know everyone has given up on me, but God, I believe in you. And I believe that you can put things back together and that you can make a path straight. God, I can't do it, but you can. God, I need your help and I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring to you, but whatever I have, whatever I have, Lord, it is yours. I need your help. I think that is this kind of humble spirit that blesses us more than anything else. Humility is what opens the door to God's favor in our life. And I do believe that Mary understood this and it formed the foundation then of the song that she sang when she visited her cousin Elizabeth to share the good news. So look at verse 46 there in your Bible in Luke chapter 1. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You read this particular song of Mary and you see how she quickly gives glory to God. There are actually nine times here that she uses the word he. Six times in the song she uses the word his. And the point is that the song is not about her. The song is all about God. The song is all about God's greatness. And it's all about God's glory. The song is all about her praising God. And our challenge as we approach the Christmas season is to have this type of song. And to have this kind of life. To be able to sing this kind of song in the way that we live, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we have our conversations, in the way that we just go about every single day. Because I really think that a song of praise in our heart can make all the difference in our day. 
A song of praise in our heart that acknowledges how great God is can, can make our problems a lot smaller. A song of praise can move us from a spirit of anxiety to a spirit of joy. It can move us from being a negative individual to being someone who is more positive. It can, it can move us from a spirit of hopelessness to, to being hope-filled. And I think a song of praise can, can help us to and remind us to be humble instead of prideful because you're taking the focus off of yourself and you're putting it on God. And that's what Mary does throughout the song. She says, God saw this lowly servant girl. God has been mindful of me. And she doesn't sugarcoat her position. She has an appropriate view of who she is and what she brings to the table in light of who God is and the power that God has. She is all about magnifying God. And friends, you can't magnify God if you're trying to make yourself look big. You can't put the spotlight on God if you refuse to get off the stage. And so Mary just goes out of her way from the very beginning, saying, look, this is who I am. I'm a humble servant. It's the word that she uses, both in verse 38 as she's speaking to the angel, and then also as she begins her song in verse 48. She is a servant. Actually, I guess, what she was really saying was that she was a slave. Your translation might not use that particular word because it doesn't want to be offensive. But the thing is, it was offensive, even then. You see, Mary picks the least impressive title, and she gives that title to herself. She doesn't call herself a mediatrix or a co-redemptrix. Those are actual titles that others have given her through the years in an attempt to, to make her something that she was not. She says, slave, meaning I have no ownership rights, meaning I have surrendered myself over to God, meaning, God, I am completely yours. But when you think about it, I guess Mary had a lot of reasons to be proud, right? I mean, don't you think it's true? I mean, of all the women in the world throughout history, she's the one chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. She could have found pride in that. Or how about the fact that she raised the perfect kid? I mean, she actually did it. And I know some of you moms right now, you're looking over at your child going, oh, but I'm so close. Right? You are. I know. We can all agree that... There are few things more annoying than a mother who thinks they have the perfect kid, right? And yet Mary doesn't do that. She could have. I mean, she could have filled up her Facebook at the time with, with all of those pictures and with all of those accolades, right? Hashtag love watching them do what they love, right? She could have. She could, have had the, she could have had the bumper sticker on the back of her donkey that said, my son created your honor student. She could have done that. I mean, she had every right. She could have had something there on the back that said, my son is the reason for the season. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody could have put that up, she could have, but she didn't. She didn't have that kind of pride. Instead, hers was a spirit of humility and friends, pride is something that we struggle with all the time. And the minute you think you're not struggling with it, you're really struggling with it. You are. I am. 
Because pride somehow has convinced us that it's not a problem for me. It's not. Pride says, I don't struggle with pride. I'm so thankful that I don't have to worry about pride as all of you others do. Pride says, you know what? I can go ahead and I can take that drink because I am strong enough now. Pride says, I can go ahead, I can look at that image because I can stop whenever I want to. Pride says, it's all my spouse's fault. God wants me to be married to someone who's going to make me happy. I, I deserve that. Pride says, I'm not going to apologize to them. If they don't want things to be awkward over the holidays, and they can come and, or they can make things right with me. Friends, humility might open the door to God's favor in our lives, but pride shuts it. Slams it. And so what I really want us this morning to, to think about, and what I really want us to see today is that before we leave here, I would love for us to be able to get a song of praise in our heart that humbly recognizes who we are and acknowledges how great God is. Understanding that he is the one who saves. My soul praises. My soul magnifies the Lord, my Savior. Now the challenge for us is that humility is just not something that, that a lot of us are interested in acquiring. Think about this. When was the last time you prayed for a humble spirit? The last time that you owned your pride. The last time that I was really honest before God and just said, God, I need much more of you magnified in my life. I need to see myself as I truly am. If you go and Google self-help, you're going to find all kinds of things like how to get rich and how to be powerful and how to be successful. But if you're looking on how to be humble, you're going to have to keep on looking because you're not going, you're not going to find it because that's not going to get clicks. No one's rushing out to listen to the podcast on humility. That's not it. And then even if you do, when you get there, you, you find that whoever has put out the podcast on humility is talking about how great it is and what a great help it could be for you. The thing is, though, that if you want favor with God, if you want to be able to enjoy even more blessings, I really think God is just waiting, saying, look, I, I really want you to enjoy life at another level. I think humility, more than any other factor, is what invites his blessing. Consider a few other scriptures. Psalm 18, 27. God, you save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty or proud. Proverbs 3, 34. We're told that God gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one I esteem, God says. He who is humble and contrite in heart. And you've heard James 4.10 before, how that we're encouraged to humble ourselves before the Lord so that he might be able to raise us up. Friends, again and again, God promises, look, if you would just humble yourself before me, 
If you would just quit acting like that you figured it all out, quit acting like that, that you're going to be the solution to all the problems that you have. If you would just call out to me for help. If you would just do this one thing. I am waiting. I am wanting. I will race to you. If you would just admit your need for me. If you would just sing a song like Mary. And demonstrate her spirit. When Gabriel gave Mary the incredible news that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, she simply responded, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And as she thought on perhaps what that meant and what was to come, and as she tried to wrap her mind around the fulfillment of what was be taking place in her life, Praise and glory and honor to God just kept building up within her. It just kept building up within her so that when she goes and, and she was going to, to tell, she was going to get that message out and, and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth and she wants to be able to share just like so many of you ladies, you, you've waited for that perfect moment and, and you chose the person that you were going to share this information with and it was going to be that person and you were feeling all giddy on the inside, all the, the nerves were, were beginning to just clench everything up within you, it was just besting, you couldn't wait and you finally get that moment and it's like, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. And when Mary goes and sees Elizabeth, she says, guess what? My soul magnifies the Lord. For he has been mindful of me, his humble servant. Friends, I think we need to hear more of that this Christmas. Let's have a life that humbly sings. My soul magnifies the Lord. Our Father, may this song that we sing be the life that we live. I pray that we would be a people of humility, that we would say, I am the Lord's servant, and that we would rejoice in everything that that means. Father, we are grateful for the sending of the Messiah, for the salvation that we are able to enjoy. And so this morning, as we have been able to sing and as we have been able to share bread and cup, as we have been able to focus our attention and magnify you. Father, may we be able to leave this place with joy in our heart. May we be able to leave this place with an uplifted spirit, rejoicing in the salvation that comes through you. And Father, as we have opportunity to share this week and in the weeks to come about your goodness, about your mercy, and about your grace. As others see our countenance, as others see the smile on our face, as others see how the joy within comes out, may we be quick to point others to you so that they too might know of your love and your unconditional salvation. We thank you.
for loving us. We pray as your humble servants. Amen. We want to close out this particular time together this morning by singing one more time the song that we just went through, a version of that Magnificat. Again, it's just a reminder of the humility that we should be having each and every day in the lives and the way that we are going about the things that we do. Oftentimes, Christians are pointed out and criticized for their proud spirit, this idea that somehow Christians have it all together compared to other individuals, and yet that couldn't be further from the truth. And perhaps as we have been here this morning, you have been reminded of the fact, you know what, I don't have it all together, and it's time for me to truly be humble before God. We want you to have that opportunity. We want you to know that in our lobby there is a prayer room that you're welcome to go and, and share a time with one of our elders. One of our shepherds will be there, and you're welcome to go and be able to read Scripture, to pray, to have a conversation about anything going on in your life. If you'd just like to have a private moment, perhaps you would like to publicly come before this church family and say, you know what, my soul is magnifying the Lord today. I'm so grateful for all that he has done. Maybe you'd like to come saying, you know what, I really need the prayers of this church so that, so that I would trust God more with my life and so I would stop trying to fix everything myself. Perhaps you've even come today saying, I would love to be baptized into Christ. The ultimate act, really, uh, of humbling yourself before God, saying, God, you and you alone can save me, and I long for that salvation. As we sing this song together again, I encourage you to have your own time with God, and if you need to respond in whatever way, please do so as we sing this one more time.